Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hardcore, Hardcore Sir History. history. The explosion of pure performance and heart-stopping daring in recent years has shot women's pro surfing into the stratosphere. Today's women pros are proper rock stars. But where are the roots of this trajectory? Women's pro surfing wasn't born in the 1990s, nor was its genesis in the decade of hard knocks depicted in the landmark film Girls Can't Surf. It has to be said, the dynamism and determination of women from these two generations cannot be underestimated nor can their ability to deal with the bullshit that came from their male surfing establishment. No, the foundation upon which women's pro surfing rests was built by the outrageous and adventurous pioneers of the 1970s, like Margot Oberg, Lynn Boyer, Jericho Poplar, all Mount Rushmore-like figures. But time moves swiftly. If we're not careful, these names and their story may wash away like footprints in the sand. In London, I'm Jamie Brewer. And I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. This is Hardcore Surf History, where we take a deep dive into surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we discuss the birth of women's pro surfing and the whitewash of their history and contributions to the sport. The current boom in women's surfing owes much to the incredible pioneers such as Patty Panicia, Lynn Boyer, 
Sandy Ordile, Marga Oberg, the Benson sisters, and a whole host of others who had to overcome incredible obstacles to lay the foundation of where we are today. We dive into this history and set the record straight. And both Jamie and I have a duel to the death with another round of Stump My Bro. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right. The birth of women's pro surfing, James. I yeah. thought this was a really due topic, and it's something I've been diving into a lot lately with my other podcast, Swell Season. Uh, you know, I've I've um, become friendly with Sandy Ordile over the past six months, and she is so freaking cool and such a wealth of information and a great resource, and she's been just sending me these introductions to all these legendary uh, women of professional surfing lately. And I've just been like hearing their stories when I interviewed Sandy. And then recently, uh, Patty Panicia is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, how is how is their story not been properly told and and not solidified in surf history? It's kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah, well, you bring up a lot of uh, right there, like a few big questions to discuss. Um, mm. Now, you're gonna like these interviews that you've done. You can find them on swellseason.com, and you're also going to make a link in the um, yes. Hardcore Surf History, so people can hear those. Yeah, and and we'll release them on Hardcore Surf History as well, uh, so they can hear some of those as they come out. 
So oh, yeah, because it really uh, is, you know, hearing the hearing the gospel straight from the people who are there. Um, maybe if you could right now, not too long, but give like a, a brief d- summary of of who each of those two women are. So uh, Sandy Ardile was uh, from New Jersey, actually. She was one of the first women on the pro tour when it started properly in 1977. Uh, but she had been competing, you know, in the mid-70s, uh, basically. And, you know, uh, she surfed the, the first few years on tour, basically. Uh, Patty Panicia was the founder, basically, of Women's Pro Surfing. She's the one that was a director for the women's tour on the IPS. And, you know, it's kind of wild, like Patty, particularly, she's, she's also like, outside of surfing, like an incredibly established lawyer. She's a professor at um, Pepperdine, you know, and has gone on to uh, writing books about sexual harassment in the workplace. And, you know, is a First Amendment scholar, like she's incredibly accomplished. But she was the one running the women's pro tour for the IPS. And she was there with Randy Rarick and Fred Hemmings at the start of the, the IPS, basically. And it's wild, like, because they don't get that credit. She definitely doesn't get that credit. And when they had, like, the Founders Cup at the Surf Ranch a few years ago, and they invited all the founding members of the Pro Tour, and they have, like, at the Surf Ranch, like, a list of all the founders, Patty's not mentioned once. And in, in, in that list, can I? Oh, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt. No, no, I'm go curious, for it. Like, in, when they mention the credit in, at the Founders Cup, did they mention any women? I don't think so. Not to my knowledge. I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it seems like if you were to take a general overview of surf history and you look in a lot of the books and the magazines and all the movies that have been made about it, it's, it seems to, you know, really only mention the guys and you think of the birth of pro surfing, you think of MR rabbit, Ian Cairns, PT, you know, and then you think of Fred Hemmings and Randy Rarick as like the, the directors. They're always referenced, but Patty's almost never referenced. And she was yeah. there working with them, organizing this shit. Yeah, the, the, I mean, I think the names that I always grew up knowing, well, I always knew about Margot Oberg. Like, yeah, it's funny. She really like wrote like. I feel like her name and her story, at least in the surf magazines in the 80s and the 90s, like would come out every night. If people did talk about pro surfing in the 70s, you did yeah. mention Margaret Oberg. And if you went back and looked at magazines from the early 80s and the 70s, like there were full lightning bolt adverts on the back cover with Margaret Oberg. So she was she was mentioned. Yeah. And and, and then obviously, you know, Lynn Boyer and Jericho Poplar and, and some rail son, of course. But yeah, ne- the only time I ever heard of Patty Panicia, and some people might might have heard of her this way as well, was when she wrote that really cool article in Surfers Journal yeah. already, gosh, about 15 years ago, I think, uh, about, you know, kind of first person account of different uh, vignettes of life during the those first years in the 70s. And that was that was very cool what she wrote. But apart from that, and she didn't toot her own horn. She didn't describe her role as a founder. She just 
talked about what it was like to be there. So yeah, I didn't know anything about it. It's, it's mind blowing. And you even for me, it's, it's, I feel as a, as a, uh, a fan of surf history, I feel sometimes I've been feeling this way. Like I feel cheated almost out of a good, incredible aspect of surf history and surf culture. Cause the women had to do it almost harder than the guys. You know, you you hear like all oh, the guys, how they, they didn't make a lot of money and they were just kind of doing it rough. The women had it even harder and had to overcome even more obstacles in my eye. And their stories just seems far more interesting than a bunch of, you know, entitled men in some ways. You know, like it, it, it's, it's just like they had, they were paid less than the men and yet they still had to get from contest to contest. And they didn't have sponsors. And yet they broke a lot of ground. Um, Sandy Ardile, you know, she was the first one to get arena, uh, sport, you know, swim, swim gear, swim, swimsuits to sponsor her. Once she got sponsored, everyone all of a sudden noticed. And PT was the next one to go and approach them. And, you know, and ask like Sandy for help, like getting ac- access to them. Like that's crazy and then the next thing you know the whole oh tour wait a minute oh you oh hang on i'm sorry yeah. you mean Can oh you're saying she was one of the first people to first surfers to get a clothing yeah. sponsor is yeah that saying? yeah on the pro tour she got arena swimsuits to sponsor her and then all of a sudden pt and all the other people started piling on but she was the first to approach him she broke that ground she saw the the opportunity you know and so uh, for just me, to I'm, check, just to yeah, check, not to let, yeah. not to discredit, but was that before Larry Bertelman had OP sponsoring him? I think so. That's something I always read that he was one of the first to approach a clothing company, and obviously before that, Jansen sponsored Corky Carroll yeah. and Phil Edwards. Um, there was clothing sponsors before. Maybe, yeah. maybe she did influence the guys, but I, I just just fact checking on what yeah. she was very first. I don't think she was a very like on the tour. I'm talking about. Like being on the tour, I think she was one of the first and it wasn't, and it was, it was approaching someone outside of surf clothing, really arena made, you know, swimsuits, right? Like, you know, them more for like, you know, almost like making like, uh, you know, swim racing suits as opposed to Mm -hmm. actually like, you know, beach culture wear clothing, which OP was kind of already like a surf clothing company. So I, you know, she went after someone outside of what would be considered the surf industry at that time. Uh, you know, so it's, it's crazy. And then like, you know, and then, and they, the constant harassment and abuse, you know, that they had to get uh, from, from some of the surfers and, and uh, the places like they, you know, they showed up to a contest in South Africa. Chapstick was the sponsor and they enticed the women to come to do a contest and they said they would pay them when they got there. They said, oh, we don't have the money to pay you. And then they, they were like, well, we need the money. And so Chapsick had a ridiculous idea where, well, we'll give you the money or if we can raise money through people entering a contest to see who wins a date with one of the women, you know, uh, on it. Like, it's ridiculous. It was just so Crazy many who. So to me, I guess like, it, it feels like. It feels very disrespectful that how our culture has treated them and has not given them the credit that they deserve for sure. And the, and the yes. stories they have are, are 
are ripe to be mined. There are some incredible backstories, I'm sure, that, that many people and women particularly could look for to for inspiration. So, so on that point, like, yeah, I guess is the point you're making that, you know, like quite recently when when Girls uh, Can't Surf came out, the film mm -hmm. that documents pro surfing in the '80s and then what's happened since then, um, that was almost like the female equivalent of a busting down the door. The film that you know that yeah. that Sean Thompson got made about the men's pro surfing, kind of the birth of the pro tour yeah. in the '70s, like. When you watch that film, I think, yeah, Matt, Matt Warshaw, you know, he writes <laughs> before he saw the film, he was getting yeah. worried that he was going to have to wag his finger at them for not referencing, not making reference to the the women pro tours, tourists on the, in the, in the, in the seventies. Yeah. And I, yeah, watch, I, I saw the movie right after it came out. I don't remember. Do they say much or do they give any reference to, um, they give the some reference. They give a little bit of reference, but for context, but they don't really mention anyone uh, other than like Margot Oberg, I think, and Lynn Boyer. You know, like so, yeah, it's really, yeah, really wait. isolated. It, it really, the story for Girls Can't Surf really doesn't pick up until like the 80s and like the ASP tour days, basically. Which, do you know what? Like, yeah, I feel, and I don't want this to be a turn into a movie review, right? Yeah, <laughs> but I and it's so long since I've seen it. I guess it was over a year ago. Um, and I remember my feeling was that film was it's totally a, a good idea for a film, you know, like show yeah. what surfing was like for the pros in the eighties, and because it was it was full of bullshit, you know, and it showed how awesome those women were and what they had to deal with and the disparity and everything. But then I guess the feeling afterwards was that I think a lot of people, if they watched that film, they would have thought that was the beginning. Yeah, it, wasn't. It, it really wasn't. And I think personally, I think like the 70s crew that really launched women's pro surfing, they, to me, like almost deserve a film on the two of their self, like a, not just a documentary, even like a proper acting, you know, with actors and stuff. Um, you know, have it, you it, so yeah, go on. Oh, <laughs> sorry, we're, we're both jumping at the bit. <laughs> no, just because you really lead on to something I was, I was thinking. Um, have you, I have you seen the film, um, uh, Battle of the Sexes, the story, yeah, about Billie Jean King playing against Bobby Riggs? Yes, of course, yeah, and that that was very similar, like you know, how they discussed the the birth of women's pro tennis you know and how they had to yeah how yeah like the 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 men were the men's tennis you know they didn't want to really properly fund the women's pro tennis tour so they had to go and start their own one and they approached virginia slims and that's how they got it going and that really was around the same era as well and it was a super fascinating interesting story and it showed how they had to they were hardcore competitors with each other but they were also mm -hmm. had to bond because they were in it together to make it all work and that when you interviewed patty and um sandy um from from their point of view it sounded like a lot of the women were kind of in it together you know like competitors well, were, but trying to make it work they were influenced you know by that that event and actually 
Patty even mentioned it. I found it really interesting. She talks about how in the 1975 Smirnoff contest uh, at Sunset, you know, um, Fred Hemmings allowed six women to compete in that. Uh, I love how it's like Fred allowed three, six women to compete. And I love like just even saying that sounds <laughs> fucked up, you know? Um, but he had six women and, and Patty even suggested he might've been in influenced by the, the, you know, the, um, the Bobby Riggs, you know, Billy Jean King, uh, event and being like, well, if you want to compete, you got to compete against the men too. show us how good you are. And you know, who got third in that contest, Margot Oberg overall. And that that really happened. Yeah, like she really got third overall. Yeah, yeah, that is sick. You know, and it's still that sh- alone should have been like a wake up call. Uh, should have been like, holy shit, we should be covering this, and hardly any coverage of that. You know, it's 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 kind of unbe- unbelievable how that is not even meant, referenced nearly as much as it should be. No, and you're right. I heard that recently, and I thought that where I heard it had gotten it wrong because I haven't, I haven't heard that, you know, like it, yeah. that seemed like it has not been mentioned. And like, I think it was mentioned once, you know, when Chris Moore had entered a, a contest mm-hmm. with boys, you know, and she beat them as a teenager. And then, um, yeah, and Lisa Mexico. Anderson and had yeah. entered, you know, a heat and gotten ahead. Like that stuff is mentioned, but third, <laughs> the yeah. in the seventies, like, isn't that crazy, crazy shit. Well, you know. okay, now that's a slight sidebar here that yeah. I know it's kind of getting off the history part, but it did make I, me, I did want to ask something. Let's get yeah. get back into the train in a minute, but it just yeah. brings something up. Um, so Nat Young once said, um, <laughs> he had said that he thought, and this was, I think, in the early 90s when he said it, it was in an interview with Drew Campion. He said he thought that there should not be a women's division and a men's division, that you should just have a surfing division. And that would, you know, like basically, you know, communicate that there was no sexism. And then also, you know, like that in a sense, he was kind of saying that he thought that perhaps women could be just as good as men. And it wasn't just saying like, oh no, yeah, women are genetically not able to. So now this is a big question. Obviously, I don't yeah. think we're going to settle it right now, but I think that a couple of questions I was always wondered since I read that and then hearing what you just, you know, like told us about Margot getting third place is one, is it is it a good idea to have... Um, a, a gender-free division or should there not be that uh and then also if if we think that that's true does that mean that there is one criteria for what is really good surfing and that women and men can both hit that criteria or do we say kind of like what wendy bertha said in uh, surfers you know like women are different you know why yeah. try to surf like a man even though I think she did make say that that was an objective. I'm not sure. But, and should there be, is there like two different styles of, of uh, surfing 
because hmm. because the physiques are different. What what do you think on all that? That's a lot. I have no. Well, um, it's a great question to bring up because I've 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 thought about it in both ways actually, and I think there's a couple things that you have to keep in mind. Women are not nearly as well represented in surfing yet. I mean, we're getting mm-hmm. getting better, but you know the the last poll I saw the stats were like men make up about 70% of surfers and women make up about 30%. So the representation... I didn't even is, think it was yeah. that equal. I thought it was yeah. still like more, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's... I mean, that was like the last that I, I... Last poll I saw. And and it's... You know, so there's not enough representation of women in surfing to make it equal, you know? And I think it's something maybe... Uh, and maybe women will, a lot of women, here we are two guys talking about this, but maybe some women, mm. you know, will think differently. But I think it's something maybe to strive for one day in the future, because I do <laughs> think you could theoretically, and, and particularly in longboarding, I think you could. Um, mm. I think big wave surfing could as well. Um, you know, I think there there are certain aspects to those uh, categories that, you know, the, the field could be somewhat level eventually, you know? Uh, but in terms of high-performance surfing, I think women, their body physique is so different to men. The way they turn, the way they do things is different. I mean, you can't argue against that. And I would say not one is better than the other. Uh, you know, I would much rather watch Stephanie Gilmore surf than pretty much half of the people on the men's CT, you know? And I would rate her surfing at the surf ranch better than the men because there's a different finesse in the way she reads the wave and how her body fits into it is totally different. I don't like uh, a surfer who muscles the wave so much or uh, overpowers the wave. To me, that's not pretty surfing and not good surfing. And because surfing is so subjective of what is good and good surfing, I think, you know, you could go either way, really. Uh, If you want to say aerial surfing, well, yeah, maybe in the future you could, that could be an equal thing eventually, you know, because it's one small criteria of like who does the biggest airs with rotations and style. You could do a whole thing. But overall surfing, I think it's, I think it's different. Uh, definitely, particularly with performance, I think women just surf a little differently than men and it's not better or worse. I think it's, it's what your preference is. And I honestly kind of enjoy watching the women surf more than the men sometimes and and particularly in certain waves so that that's i feel like i don't know i think it could go either way i don't think nat young is i i i wonder what matt young's intention was in what in saying that sometimes you know that's that's the other thing i sometimes have to question the male who's saying those things you know, like, yeah, well, we should all just be equal and, and this should be this way. Or you want to, you want to be considered good and paid equally in men. You have to, you should surf as good as men. Yeah. Or you and, that, do this, and I think, you know, back, back before what you were saying with, um, representation and stuff. And like, I think, um, any, this, I'm kind of paraphrasing something Billy Jean said in an, Jean King said in an interview, you know, any dominant group will quite often not be aware of what it's like to be in the non-dominant group and yeah yeah it's kind of like saying you know like when when certain groups now say that other groups in the workplace you know why why should there be any sort of you know uh 
preference or weight to weightedness to any other groups uh yeah well yeah you would feel that way to you it feels like we're just all competing against the same thing and i guess the other thing is you know like the other thing would be before any move like that happened you'd have to actually ask the people involved ask the women rather than ask us i guess totally but it's just something yeah something when you when when stuff like that happens when you hear that margot Ober got third back in a time when there was so little representation of women and proportions and then yeah watching watching the pipe masters this week um you know on on one of the days when the waves were pretty chunky and the women went out and were doing stuff that i'd never seen women do at pipeline yeah Uh, it it blew my mind because you know i've seen women surf big waves you know and i've seen women surf really hollow waves like you know like in um, indonesia but because pipeline is the surf spot itself is just so dominated by this huge group of men like it's it makes it really hard for anyone to get experience and because there hasn't been a a designated pipeline contest like this for women yet you know they haven't been given the opportunity so all of a sudden it's like oh my god i didn't i just hadn't seen it you know and all of a sudden you've seen it you could actually see the progression at the pipe masters also of the women and their surfing the more waves they got the more comfortable they got and as the rounds as as we went further in the rounds you saw them their progression really fast. It was a really steep incline. It felt like from like first round to, to like the, the, you know, the quarters, like as they surf pipe more with unfettered access and no, you know, locals and having to compete and fight for it, you could see, Oh, they're getting better already. And they're only having a couple surfs here. Like imagine if they got to surf there all the time and didn't have to deal with the crazy ass fucking crowds and, and all the other bullshit that goes with it. Like women would be probably surfing pipe just as good as most of the men on the CT. I think it's just time giving them time out there and giving them experience that really, you heard McCoo, it's like just experience out there. Yeah. One of the um, commentators was, was pointing out that um, well, one, like if you surf in one heat that, and you catch, let's say you catch four waves, like yeah. even for most top surfers they won't get four waves out of pipeline in a day of surfing you know like (laughs) and if you make it through a few rounds you're going to get more waves than most surfers pro surfers would get in a whole season there and then also they pointed out that it's not just the pipe masters although this isn't actually the pipe masters we have to keep saying that pipe pro because a lot of commentators who are actually paid by these guys kept going keep pipe masters (laughs) oh my i mean they that's a whole other topic there that yeah. I don't want to get into with the lit, lit, <laughs> lit, 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 logistics logistics <laughs> but um the fact that it's not just this contest that men have had there's a uh, a handful of other pipe contests that yeah. you get to surf in each year so that you get and if you have like four pipe contests a year that you get to surf in after 10 years that's 40 surfs that you've had with only yeah. one to three other people out of the water just uh... hic pipe pro that they just had in december uh it was a vulcan pipe pro that they had the dahui shootout for years was mostly was pretty much men until this past year which by the way watching that was phenomenal bethany hamilton like 
just sending it on one of the heaviest fucking waves. I had uh, I got to interview Balaram Stack last week, who is a pipe specialist, and he was just like, "Holy crap, Bethany was mind blowing." He was so blown away by her by her surfing. He's like, "Dude, she's paddling into pipe with one arm." <laughs> on and a that's, bomb like that's, that's the other crazy. thing that she brings that home like because i think like i said this is this is tying into another thing you know like the fact that a lot of media has not shown what the women have actually been doing you yeah. know like uh, i think i think it was in one of your interviews but it might have also been in you know um lauren hill and dave rastovich's interview with lynn yeah. boyer one of them had pointed out how they heard that the the surf photographers were instructed. This is back, you know, in the film. It was one era. of my interviews, yeah. It was one of yours. How they were instructed not to take pictures of the women. And it's funny, at first you hear that and you're like, that is total bullshit. And yeah. it is. But then you think about it and you think, oh, okay, there's an actual film was very expensive you only have a certain amount of pictures per thing they were saying look you yeah. don't waste your time which is shit but what it means is that you know we haven't actually seen the women actually doing that actually they probably were out doing you know like there's like you say this women were surfing big sunset women were surfing pipeline in the 60s you know on the encyclopedia yeah. surfing they just came out uh, matt you know dug up that footage of them dropping in in the in the mid 60s terry Joyce hoffman surfed it you know right after on the first yeah. like year that it happened terry um, mellison terry mellison have you ever heard of her mm. she was one of the first to surf big pipe as as a female surfer in this early 70s like I've never heard of her until doing research for this. Like, that's crazy, you know? Like, that no, representation matters. That's really what it comes down to. And seeing is believing. Yeah, when that's the thing, yeah, it's also knowing, like, um, if you... Th I guess that's... Yeah, the back to one quick point that I was just yeah. making when we were talking about Bethany Hamilton. Um, you know, like, in, in, in the 90s and the 80s, and even at maybe at the turn of the century, there weren't that many photos or film of women in the tube anywhere, yeah. not just pipeline. But, and I remember like looking in all the magazines and be like, there's no women in the tube anywhere in any of the pictures. And if we watched all the films there were, which there weren't that many, I suppose, <laughs> and yeah. you couldn't find any footage of women in the tube. And I remember thinking out loud to myself as, an old teenager, maybe even a young adult, well, maybe women just can't properly get tubed on a regular basis. And the logic in my mind was like, I don't get tubed on a properly logical basis. I'm a decent <laughs> surfer. And I thought, you know, getting tubed is actually harder than it looks. And so I thought maybe it's an upper body strength thing. Maybe they can't paddle hard enough to get into those late drops. But obviously it just wasn't shown very often. That's yeah. what we're seeing. And then obviously now you see like women getting super deep barrels all the time. But then also you see Bethany Hamilton. I it was just like, what the fuck? You know, one arm getting into deep barrels at pipeline. And it's like, okay, well that's that uh is uh, that argument good, is 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 null and void, even, you know, like not strong enough to paddle into it. Like Bethany 
proves that you can do that. Like she, dude, in the pipe master, she got that backhand, that backhand barrel at pipe, you know, critical drop, critical drop at back door, which is fucking like a hard ass wave to make a drop anyway. She did it one arm, then does a layback grab rail with one arm. Like it, it was one of the sickest fucking backhand tubes at, at backdoor actually it wasn't big but it was fucking crazy when you think about that that is fucking hard to do uh so i i'm just like yeah it all it is is they just women just need time and they need to be to to the stuff needs to be shown and now it's being seen and the level is going up and more girls are getting into surfing and they're seeing this and they know Oh, I can take it to the next level. I can keep pushing it even more. And that's mm. one of the most important things. And, and also, I think what, what the whole point of what you've been doing lately with these interviews um, and what um, uh, you know, Sandra's trying to do is that to show what was happening, and it's been happening for a long time. Women's yeah. pro surfing has been happening a long time. You know, like I know right now in, in Britain, like with education there's you know we're really trying to show how there were you know have been black people living in the uk for hundreds of years they're not yeah. just it's not just a new thing yeah um and i think a lot of times feeling like you've got a part of history you've been here for a while you've been doing this makes you feel more entitled makes you feel more rooted makes you feel more part of everything and i think that's the thing if you just think that really like i think women have have only very recently been given the type of coverage and representation in media that's that's accurate not just deserved but accurate yeah. you know because even like I, i've got some issues of surfer magazine from this century from the 2000s where on the cover, one of the blurbs was all the best places to take your girlfriend on a yeah. surf trip. And like, it's, this is not. <laughs> yeah, this it's the the this is recent shit. You you bring up a really interesting point about the entitlement. And and Patty Panici actually mentioned this in the interview, saying like, uh, you know, what she really loves about the girls today is their entitlement towards surfing. They they know they belong. They know they belong, like we belong out here. And and one thing, and, and I think it's important, like the history helps tie you to that entitlement. And I think the more we learn about it, I think the more women will feel entitled to, to their space in the lineup. Here is a really interesting fact that I think everyone should be aware of. Queen Lilio Kalani, who was, you know, the queen of, of Hawaii before, uh, you, know, was, uh, you know, there was the coup. She went to school in Europe. She surfed in the UK. I don't know if you knew that. Mm -hmm. And, you I know, did, she, <laughs> and then and then she was basically she is being credited as, um, you know, many scholars credit her with saving surfing from cultural extinct extinction from the Hawaiian Islands. During that time, colonizers and all the, the white men there, they basically removed surfing from daily lives of Hawaiian, and she refused to stop surfing and was one of the last native traditional surfers in Waikiki, actually. She helped keep surfing alive. And so all of surf history kind of owes this woman, this woman uh, we owe 
surf history too, actually for keeping surfing alive. And so I think there, right there, a lot of women should look at that and see like, no, we have so much to be grateful for. And, and surf history needs to acknowledge a lot more of women's part in surf history. Everything from even Jack London's wife, you know, and, and her contributions in writing about surfing. And, you know, there's so many roles that women have played throughout surf history that have not been given the, their fair credence and, and uh, weight, I think, to, to the contributions of surfing. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, you know, a little while back we were talking about how Patty had mentioned how grateful she was to hear that so many young women and girls today have a real sense of entitlement. Um, and they just, it's interesting. I remember when, when Hillary Clinton was running for president, mm -hmm. um, a lot of, and, and I heard something which said that a lot of young women today, young women today, didn't yeah. realize how important it was for Hillary Clinton to be running for president and, and how important it, it might be if she did get in. Say what you will about yeah. Hillary Clinton. That's, that's a whole separate thing. Yeah. Um, because so many young women today just thought, well, of course the women should be running for president. Why wouldn't they? You know, there are women CEOs, there are women... This that of course it makes sense, and and a lot of young women were probably thinking like, well, yeah, I don't know if I really like Hillary Clinton very much, so maybe we won't vote for her, you know. But a lot of the older women who lived through, especially the '60s and '70s, because of such a, a feminine uh, feminism movement, yeah, were just like, no, you don't understand how far we've come and how important this is. And so, on one hand, I feel it's really great that young women are, are a lot less encumbered with all the bullshit and feel that it's they don't have to fight for stuff and they, they can just be human beings which is awesome yeah um but on the flip side it's, i guess my question is you know how important is it for women young women today to be aware of how 
difficult it was, how limited their um, opportunities were, how, how, how shit it was. <laughs> I mean, it's super important, I think, because, you know, you have to know where you've been to know where you're going. And, and if you don't know your history, you, it can repeat itself. It could always fall back. I mean, gosh, you know, like, who knows? Like in 10, 20 years or even five years, the pro tour could be no more, right? It could, for whatever reason, Dirk Ziff could be like, yeah, you know what? I'm done with this. Pull the plug. And all of a sudden, where are we, right? And where is professional surfing and for men and women? And it could get to a point where there's very little resources and there'll be a fight over those those commodities and and money. And, you know, people could could start to just favor one thing over the other again. Uh, so it's important, I think, to know where you've been to know where you're going and to, to make sure that it doesn't repeat itself. I, yeah, I, actually, I, that's an interesting yeah. point that you made. Like, I know a lot of times today, like people, I, I'm getting slightly off topic with the yeah. women's situation, but I know a lot of people give the WSL a lot of shit. But then, like, I'm reading any shit that they're giving the WSL. I'm like, look, look back at the 80s. Yeah. I have magazines where it was, just you know editorials where the pros were pointing out how completely shit it was i think i read yeah. a quote marty hoffman had gone up to uh mark warren in a surf contest there was like one foot or something like that he said you're sending expert skiers out onto the bunny hill right now yeah and um and so <laughs> I, and i know like i've i've experienced i think as you get older you kind of see this like i sometimes say to younger people or people haven't been around in a certain situation for i say yes it's important to remain critical of the present yeah but at the same time um remember how much better it is now and how we can't we don't want to lose what we have now so it is important yeah you're right very important to look back it, it also i think can can give a sense of hope and optimism when you know how far you've come it it, it can make you feel more hopeful about the future instead of feeling pessimistic mm. Uh, I think that's a really important thing too. It's easy to get down on things. It's easy to, like you said, like be ultra critical of all this stuff right now and then be like, oh, it's all hopeless. And you're like, no, look at where we were. It was even worse. And we've been able to make progress. Like it takes time and yeah, it doesn't happen now, but progress is progress. And, and you should look to that for hope. And for encouragement to keep moving forward and keep making more progress. That's, I, that's you know, I, I feel would... I feel very similarly to you. Although it's interesting. Again, I was listening to this uh, Billie Jean King interview, and yeah. she said, you know, when you look at history and you read it, it seems like things go really fast, but when you're living through it, it, it takes forever. And she said, yeah. you know, she's like, you know, I'm in my seventies now. I'm I'm worried I'm not going to be around to see all the the things that need to get done, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I, I also think there's something to be discussed about sexuality at the time. Um, I think it's something to be said about sexuality at the time and the, the, the rampant homophobia that was happening and its effects on, some of the the surfers and and them feeling comfortable in themselves but also being able to to speak up or be more present in the public um 
you know, the, the Water People podcast, uh, Dave Rosovich and Lauren Hill did a phenomenal interview with, with um, you know, Lynn Boyer. I mean, God, it was, it was so good. Like, I wanted to throw my phone against the wall because I was like, damn it, you've gotten all the good stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't think need to interview Lynn. <laughs> but it, it was so good. But she talks about how, you know, she couldn't come out and couldn't be comfortable with herself. And particularly in surfing, you know, there was quite a bit of homophobia. And, and still, in, in many ways, I think it, it's, I mean, you look at the comments on Tyler Wright, like coming out, like it's, it's still pretty freaking awful. Uh, we, ha- we have a long ways to go. But uh, that, I think that fear and uncomfortableness of being in the spotlight probably made it harder to want to be more represented or be out in the public eye and to give more views, you know, and she was like one of the best surfers at the time. And she was hiding away. Didn't, you know, probably didn't probably, I think part of it is maybe she didn't champion as much or fight as much for getting representation and getting out there as much because you don't want to draw too much attention to yourself personally. I wonder, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I wonder that's, that's uh that's that's something also that yeah billy jean king was saying is that things changed so much that like her position was very different from martina navaratilova's position you know martina was 13 years younger and yeah. compared to now it's so different she said you know when when she actually she didn't come out you know she was outed uh, yeah. or she was and immediately she lost all her sponsorship um and then martina who was 13 years younger came up to her, you know approached her and said look you know there's a, a newspaper journalist who wants to out me what do you think i should do and Jean said look it's you have to listen to yourself you have to do what feels right for you you can't force anything but i would personally rather control the message myself and I'd be the one that tells people and Martina did, and she didn't lose her sponsors. You know, th- yeah. things changed really quickly, but I, I don't know if you remember, but I remember, you know, when I was young with surfing, the, the women were definitely, it was like talked about in the media, how, you know, like um, women didn't want to be seen as lesbians. And that was kind of a stereotype that that men had of women or not just men and women had had of women and then certain women would talk about you know like oh you know like i'm definitely not lesbian and you know like you can look pretty too and feminine or yeah like the so to have to worry about all that on top of where women's <laughs> rights yeah was like a double whammy not a double whammy an exponential whammy and, and especially if you're a competitor you know, and it's effect on the judging to, and its effect, effect on, on judging. judging. Imagine that too, because it's such a subjective sport. You know, the the judges could have. I mean, they make a point in that interview uh, with Lynn Boyer. Uh, Lauren Hill even brings up like Jody Cooper and how she probably lost a world title because of certain judging biases, potentially. You know, she lost by well, like think, such a small amount. It even. I think Lynn Lynn makes the point that like when you're judging something, it's subjective, and there, there yeah. might. I think she's kind of implies that there's a lot of subconscious inherent stuff bias that influences your, yeah, influences your judging, and um, 
Yeah, that's the thing with surfing. You know, it's not, it's it's not it's it's not like tennis in which there's a winner and there's a clear winner and a clear loser, and it doesn't matter how you know what people think. You know, whereas surfing yeah. is very much what people think. Um, yeah, it was a it, whole difficult thing. But to, to in your interview with Patty, um, yeah. she does talk a lot about the the positives of being a pro surfer back yeah. in the seventies, even for a woman. <laughs> And she's and she's she said that a lot of the 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 pro the competitors the male competitors were actually really cool, yeah. And that they especially and everyone makes a point of pointing out how the Hawaiians were always the coolest to the women, yeah. And I think back before what you were saying about uh, surfing's women's history within surfing, like in in, in Hawaiian society, you know, it's women are viewed a lot differently than they are maybe in a more Western European style society. But uh, she did say how there was a lot of camaraderie between the, the guys and the girls on the program oh. and how much, how it was kind of like, in a way, um, you know, I, th- I think it was Lynn who said this. It, it was actually, well, maybe it wasn't Lynn, but you know, one of them said it, it was actually really fun you know, Sandy. yeah, Patty said it. It was a big and adventure, you know, and yeah. it was it was like joining the circus, you know, or like following the Grateful Dead or something like that. It's like this big adventure. You're going around the world. You're having a really good time. You know, you're you're surfing, you're partying, you're checking out the world. You know, like that. There there was a lot of, in a way, that right now, if you're a pro surfer, women or men, you're probably not getting the same type of experience that they were. That was quite a romantic time. It, it sounded so cool. Like like Sandy Ordili actually made it sound really neat and really fun. Like how you know they would they would all go together and have all these great experiences in all these different countries and make all these friends all over the place. And because they were not making a lot of money, they had to be super creative on how they got from point A to point B. And that in itself is like an incredible adventure. And that, that also is like, makes me like, oh, it makes me want to hear more. I want to hear more stories, right? Like I loved always the Kevin Naughton, Craig Peterson travel stories, you know, and the adventures they had. I imagine the women had just as incredible stories of travel and adventure and getting to a spot, not having money, and then having to figure out how to get to the next contest. You know, all of that sort of stuff must have been, there must be so many cool, cool stories and and fun times to have been had. You know, when you're that young and carefree too. God, like, yeah, really cool. I mean, gosh, uh, Patty had to sell her Diffendorfer in Brazil to get to the next contest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, and that's the thing you hear those stories from the guys about what it was like back then as well. You know, like it was a, a an interesting time, you know, to be a pro surfer. Also, it's but on this, I don't want to say the flip side, but I feel like Patty and maybe Sandy's experience was different from Lynn and Margot's experience. Yeah. So when you hear anything from Lynn Boyer and Margot Oberg, like the two of them were like a Kelly Slater, like as far as that single-minded, really determined to win, yes. to be the best at everything. And um, and so maybe they they had a, a different view of things. And it did make me think, 
what's going through your mind to have that kind of drive to succeed, that single-minded drive to succeed in a sport where there's hardly, with hardly any money, obviously, hardly any recognition, mm-hmm. hardly any maybe even hope of recognition. Like you can, <laughs> you can almost understand it for the guys. They were thinking, look, you know, if we get this going, maybe it'll be like other male sports, you know? Mm-hmm. But at the time, there, what women's sports were they hoping they were going to be like? Yes, there was tennis, maybe golf. There was no pro basketball, pro football, pro soccer, pro yeah, anything. What were they hoping? It's amazing to have that type of drive for something. Uh, the the passion for the competition is pretty amazing. I I think it's it's amazing because you know a lot of people just pour themselves into this one focus, and it allows them to avoid all the other stuff going on in their lives. And I think that's part mm. of it is, is all the difficult things that they were having and experiencing in other normal life. You know, you hear Lynn talk about how free she felt surfing and how surfing was like nothing else mattered after, you know, when she was in the water and that competitiveness allowed her to really harness that energy and take all the angst and all the stuff from outside and allowed her to focus so much mm. so and gave her a sense of like, this I can do and and none of this other stuff matters. It, you know, I imagine that's that has a lot to do with that competitive drive, you know, and and probably the same for Margot. I mean, Margot was like, I mean, she quit, you know, when she lost to to Lynn, you know, only to come back, but it was like she couldn't take losing. Like it was so painful. Um it's it's gotta be yeah i imagine like that outside influence of life uh driving them and they were basically chris everett and martina navratilova those two they went back and forth they that's see that's another thing that has yet to really been be explored is their rivalry and their competitiveness to me just seems like could be such an epic tale like that is something that's aki and current you know that's Andy and Kelly. It's very rarely mentioned as some of the, the one of the greatest rivalries in surfing. But there, yeah, that's a there it peak is. Peak rivalry, yeah. This it's really hard to think of other rivals within surfing that match that. And um, and you're right. It it hasn't been talked about very often. In fact, like when I was in, in the first ten years of surfing, like you'd read about Margot Oberg, you know, being you know, like so dominant. And of course you, you know, you knew about Frida Zamba and then, mm-hmm. um, Pam. and then Wendy both. And then of course, you know, Lisa Anderson and everyone who came after, but it was years later that I even, and I heard all about, I knew about Lynn Boyer. There were a lot of pictures of her, but I didn't know even just that she was a world champ. Like, yeah, it wasn't talked about in the way that I knew very quickly within my first year of surfing. I knew all the world champion men that there had ever been. It was yeah. very easy. Not that to there access. was a lot by then, you know. <laughs> well, no, but you had. So in 1988, on my wall, yeah, I had a picture of of Peter Townsend, Rabbit Bartholomew, Sean Thompson, Mark Richards, Tom Carroll, Tom Curran, Damian Hardman. I had them all up there, and, and Bart Lynch. Whereas, and that's I didn't. Even, there were no surf books really. Well, there were a couple of surf books, but it was just easily accessible without the internet. Whereas, yeah. Lynn Boyer. 
it didn't I didn't find out about it until many years later because it just wasn't talked about in the same way. So, um, yeah, it, how it, important it is. It's so, it's like really, I think like such a cool thing because it was a back and forth too, right? Like Margo won the first two, then Lynn won, and then Margo came, you know, Lynn won two, and then Margo came back. Like that, that's like, intense and the way they were both so driven and so singularly focused on winning like god man like this is how has no one picked this up as like an incredible piece for even surfers journal like i would love to hear and i'm gonna hopefully get a chance to interview lynn i want to hear more about her thoughts about margot and the rivalry i'm really curious about that and how she internalized that and how would they talk? Were they friendly at all? Was there any, were they, did they play mind games on each other even? Like, mm. was there a passing of bar of soap as, as wax, as Rabbit did, you know, or MP <laughs> did a rabbit or whatever? Like, you know, that's like, I'm curious about that sort of stuff too. Cause yeah, that, that rivalry is a fascinating story, right? And things like, did they, were they glad the other person was there to push them or did they wish that the other person never existed? That kind of. totally totally right we 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 also have to when we talk about professional women's surfing we do have to talk about also the the pre uh pro Mm -hmm. tour the the organizations that also helped set them up and helped organize them you had the women's international surfing association that was started in 75 you know jericho poplar uh relson mary setterholm like they were like the first founding members and they had their first big event at Malibu. Uh, you know, that, that drew Margot Oberg out of retirement. Uh, but then you also had, you know, going on in Hawaii, the women's Heinalu basically that was formed by Sandy and Rel and they had their expression session at Rocky point. You know, these are two interesting, you know, movements that were going on both on the mainland and in Hawaii. I, and, I wish I'd asked Patty a bit more about that and what, whether there was tension between those, were they collaborative, uh, those two organizations. Right. Yeah. And how, yeah, it all kind of, it was bubbling, you know, like yeah. it, was, it was going to happen, you know, women's pro surfing was going to happen because there were these movements and also how it's not, this is the other thing is that actually, yeah, women's pro tour, you know, started then, but, there was very serious women's competitive surfers right from day one, you know, in the fifties and sixties, uh, you know, like this, this wasn't again, like this was the birth of the pro tour, but this wasn't the birth of shit hot competitive women surfers, you know, Oh gosh, no. Like Joyce Hoffman and Becky Benson and Linda Merrill and all that stuff, you know, that Linda Benson, that was, yeah. I, I, I know, obviously this is just like, but, they were almost Did organizing. Becky Benson? You said Becky Benson. Oh, Linda man. Benson. I, do you know what it was? I didn't want to say two Lindas. I think in my head uh, that was what was going on there. <laughs> yeah, Becky you know, Benson was of the, the early pros. Yeah. It, it, it was, yeah, I think really, but the, they were organizing uh, uh, before even like the pro, the IPS was even organized in itself. They were already like trying to get something going, which I think is really interesting in itself. Um, you know, and having that that hang ten contest at Malibu, you know, with with 
prize money really, you know, I, I want to see more information on that. EOS has like a little piece on it for sure, but I would love to, I guess I just want to see a proper documentary on this now. I feel like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, and, and one done really well and cool, you know, and, Totally. We also have to mention, you know, the candy pants incident. <laughs> it's well, so demeaning and messed up. Like, it's did, just. Did like, you know what? I oh. think that's a teaser. I think people need yeah. to listen to your interview to hear it in detail. Yeah, totally. And, and also, I do think that people should go on to the OS or if you're a, a Surfers Journal um, subscriber and read Patty's article. Oh, damn. What's it called again? Uh, hold on. Let me see if, if I surf, can find it. Surf up, search up Patty Panicia, Surfer's Journal. It'll yeah. come up under the EOS. It's Although a it's- 70s Pro Genesis by Patty Panicia, The Origins of Women's Pro Surfing. Yeah, search that up because that's such a good read. Like I've read it like five times simply because it's so well written and fun and interesting. And it gives you insight into the whole thing. Absolutely. Um, and and definitely, you know, I do encourage everyone to listen to that Lynn Boyer interview with on the Water People podcast, um, you know, with with Dave Rostovich and Lauren Hill. Yeah. I thought I was a really it was really well done. Um, you know, and they also do they talked to they did an interview with um with also uh Mary uh uh Mary Setterholm who also has got a really traumatic story actually. And, um, it's pretty full. Well, I heard on. them referencing that. In, in yeah. The yeah. So definitely go check those out, you know, as good resources for this information. And, uh, and, uh, Be- before, before we wrap yeah. things up too yeah. much, there's just one other point and I don't, it's not necessarily something that needs super deep discussion, but yeah. Uh, sometimes when I think about, you know, surfing and and the importance of discussing it and stuff you know i sometimes think well you know it's it's really fun and <laughs> that's about <laughs> it um and also you know but it's i think it's and and, and sometimes i think ah uh, you know sometimes people lay so much praise on on competitive athletes and I, is this is interesting i remember i remember yes. john hannon you know, John yeah. Hannon, the, our, our, our dear friend who recently passed away, who um, was, you know, pioneer surfboard shaper from New York in the 50s and 60s and, and thereafter. I remember him, He when he got inducted into the East Coast Surfing Hall of Fame, he's, he said to me, and Dan Gutman, believe it or not, we went on a ski trip together, the three of us. <laughs> he said he, he really was like, oh, I don't see the point of these things. Like, they're giving recognition to me, a guy who who built toys, whereas there's so many people out there who are doing hard work to help people who are not getting recognized. You know, the social workers, the ENTs, you know, the, the pillars of community and stuff like that. And yet I'm getting all this you know, recognition <laughs> for shaping surfboards and running a rental shack. Um, and we had a big discussion. That's a whole other discussion to have. But it's interesting thinking especially about women in sport um, and how much of an influence, a positive influence that has on changing society. And that's right. what I think, yeah, is the big deal about all this. Absolutely. I, I think it, it benefits our society 
when we start appreciating everyone's contributions and we we start to realize like how it, it we can see it in other parts of our lives you see it in the sport and then you can start to take take that outwards and start looking at it all around us beyond the sport too um but yeah that's a good point yeah and how like in sport a lot of times gets gets the attention and so it's a perfect platform for getting a message across and actually it's it's a little different than a top athlete speaking out about politics you know like you know and that's the thing it's been great how different athletes throughout time have spoken out on different causes you know like muhammad ali speaking out against the vietnam war is great stuff but when when a woman can actually talk about equality in a sport that just transfers directly to other aspects of society you know so it's like there's no this isn't just me taking this opportunity to speak out it is actually i'm doing this for me and the other women and this will hopefully have an influence on changing how it is elsewhere it's like um it's it's yeah it's really authentic and influential well i think uh with that um I think it's time for, you know what a time it is for, right? It's time for Stump My Bro. So uh, I got one stump for today. How about you? Uh, I've got two. All right. I've got two. All right. You, you want to go first or you want me to go first? You want to Maybe do... I should. So if we yeah. go back and forth then. Right, right. <laughs> okay. Um, and, I've, and I've got a, th- a third. Oh, well, right, I want to ask you real quick. And I'll save oh. it for the end. I'll save it for the end. So, okay. My <laughs> first real stump is who was the first woman to get on a cover of a major surf magazine? And what can Ooh. you tell me about it? Oh, Damn. Why do I feel like it's Joyce Hoffman or Linda Benson? Is that Neither possible? Neither. Of I know Margot Oberg in the in like 1980. That was that was one. She um, did. Yep. But before that, I'm not sure. No. So in 1964, on the mm. cover of Surfer magazine was Linda Merrill. Ooh. And then, and Linda Merrill's from Florida, isn't she? Or is I that think so. Monroe? Or my? Oh God, this is bad. Mm, fact botching check. up. <laughs> oh, botching <laughs> up. Oh, ruined. I should have just staged it. But Linda Merrill, top surfer of the sixties, was on the cover in nineteen sixty-four. And a few months later, on the cover of Surf Guide magazine, they ran a, a cover, a portrait of the Calhouns. You know, Marge Candy mm. and Robin Calhoun, who. Those three surfers, I've seen lots of pictures of them and mm-hmm. l- read little bits and pieces there. And Matt does something on them in the US. But that, I feel like they need to be spoken about a lot more because you see lots yes. of pictures of them surfing in the 60s. And then all of a sudden, you don't hear that much since. And it's like, they were they were a big deal. But that, okay, that's my first stub for you. I'm okay. looking something up here. I think, I feel like... Hold on. About Linda. Yeah, there's um so there's a movie called Letters from Marge 
And it's a... Oh, about Marge Calhoun. Yeah, about Marge Calhoun. Shares memory and reflects on her life in handwritten letters to a friend uh, that was done. And it's on the Surf Surf Network. So No uh, way. Okay. So there you go. That is some watching right there. There you go. I was like, I think there is a movie about it. So, boom. Wow, cool. All right. Here we go. My stump. This female surfer... She's from Honolulu, and she won two world championships back-to-back. She won five Hawaiian state championships and an American championships to boot. Yet none of the magazines or filmmakers ever reached out to interview her or film her. She never, uh, she never gave, they never gave her so much as a passing mention in its coverage of the 1972 world championships. And when they did mention her, they misspelled her name in the results box. Mm. Do you know who this surfer is? Well, of course, because she runs a really good uh, tire shop on, uh, I think it's on the big island. Um, And also Jerry Lopez always talked really highly of her. Um, Sharon Weber. Oh, very good. And surfers, the reason I know so much about it is Surfers Journal did a really great profile on her. I also thought maybe you might have, uh, you know, been to the, you know, visited her tire shop or needed to get a tire fix. When no, no, no. But um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, she works apparently six or seven days a week. It's hard work, but it's but it's her business and she's badass. And uh, yeah, no. And you know, Jerry Lopez speaks really highly of her as being like one of the top performance surfers, full stop, not just uh, women, but also of men as well at the time. And, um, yeah, so, uh, okay, well, I've got, uh, here's another one for you. Okay. Who was the only surfer ever, male or female, but obviously it's a female, (laughs) to win person of the year, not sports person of the year, but person of the year by the Los Angeles Times? Ooh. It's a pretty big accolade. The LA Times being a bit like the New York Times. (laughs) <laughs> Can I get a year? Can I get a year? Uh, it was the 60s. I don't have I was gonna say, Can I buy a vowel? <laughs> um, I'm going to... God, I'm so going to blow this. Um, I'm going to say Marge. Uh, I mean, not Marge. Um, uh, Margo Oberg, maybe. No? Uh, no. 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 Joyce Hoffman. Joyce Hoffman. Damn, Joyce man. Hoffman. Also the first... Joyce Hoffman, the, you know, the multiple Makaha Open champion, multiple yeah. U.S. champion, two-time world champion, motocross and car racing competitor. Um, yeah, you can see where Nathan Fletcher gets his uh, yes. gets his influence there. This is his aunt. Um, and also, she was the first person <laughs> in the United States to to teach surfing in PE classes, you know, physical Whoa. classes. And quite one, interesting of, one of the first women who came out too as well. Like really? really yeah. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. And they just uh, erected a statue to her recently in San oh, Diego. Wow. Yeah. They just did a whole tribute like a week or two ago. So um, cool. super cool. And also related to you know, the Hoffman fabrics, which also brings into the Fletcher family. And then we know where that goes to. So That's what I, was just saying. Influence. I know it's like yeah. incredible, her influence, actually. So, um, fuck, yeah. 
Um, There's actually an excellent article on her in, in Surfer's Journal. <laughs> they do a whole issue devoted to the Hoffmans and the Fletchers. Have you read that issue before? No. Oh, it's so much fun. I've read it several times. It's really, <laughs> really cool. Um, and she, uh, oh God, what was also one of the first uh, pro, one of the first surfers to ever be given you know, be basically as a sponsorship deal. She was given um a free car. I think it was by Renault actually, Whoa. or Triumph, one of those two. Yeah. Um. Well. That was a really good. No, 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 I'm not done. Oh, oh, you're not done. Okay. No. Well, here's here's okay. So after listening to um, I, I, it's not as interesting as Stump, but it, I don't know. It resonated with me a little bit after listening to the Water People one. Do Do you want to guess what my Stump was gonna be about, Lynn Boyer? Uh, no. Not well, a deep meaning kind of thing there. What? Yeah, so, so you know how like on her surfboard she always famously had this big star on it yes oh it that was the uh airline uh right um it was for no the sponsor her surfboard sponsor lifted the logo though from uh harold iggy the shaper right and i forgot the where the logo was supposed to come from right Ah, man. So, yeah, I always saw the surfboard. And I, because yeah. for years, she always had this big star on it. And I yeah. was like, ah, oh, man, it looks like, makes it look like a pair of skis. And then, uh, yeah, Harold Iggy, who's. Oh, Kniesel. Kniesel yeah. skis. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Harold Iggy, he was, you know, he shaped for Nat Young. He shaped for the Weber team. You know, he was shit hot, hot shaper. Shit. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was Margot's shaper, but also on his team, he had. You know Bobby Owens and um, uh, Bird Marilona from Makaha, and um, you put on yeah he's he's kind of lifted the Kniesel skis uh, star logo and yeah. put it on there. But Lynn Boyer was the one who got known for it, you know, rather than the others there. And it was it's seen as like her kind of kind of like Tom Carroll had the that the kind of uh, boomerang swoosh on his boards. That yeah. was her kind of thing right there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so, uh, I thought that was a great episode and for all our, uh, listeners, uh, if you want, um, you can find us at hardcore underscore surf underscore history on Instagram. And, uh, if you don't know how to do the underscore thing, well, <laughs> a lot of people don't think shift, shift and the, and the minus sign right there. <laughs> I I always find it really satisfying typing that. It always I don't know what it is. It's like a <laughs> ASMR or something. Um, but we hope you all enjoyed this, and uh, you know I'll uh, be releasing the Patty Panici and Sandy Ordile uh, interviews in the subsequent uh, weeks for our bonus section piece on the Hardcore Surf History Podcast, which is also on the Surf Splendor Podcast Network. And uh, we will hopefully see you all down the line soon. Jamie, you're going to be traveling for a little bit, but we'll try to squeeze in a podcast at some point, I think. Right? Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons we had to end our um, recording right now is because we have to go watch the, the quarterfinals, semifinals, yes. and finals of the Women's Pipe Masters. Absolutely. Pipe Pro. Pipe, Pipe Pro. Pro. Pipe Pro. Awesome. 
All right, Hey, Jay. one little interesting yeah. thing. Did you notice that the two of the main founders of Pro Surfing's names were alliteration? Randy Rarick and Patty Panuccia. Ooh. I <laughs> it's, a sh- it's a shame uh, Fred's name wasn't uh, Henry Hemmings, you know? <laughs> Hank, Hen- Hank Hemmings. <laughs> that would have been good. <laughs> signing off, this is Brendan signing. Brewer. <laughs> This is Tyler Tyler. All right. Take care, everyone, and enjoy. We'll see you down the line soon.